we got our first bad review. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so it was actually like almost a whole year ago. <laughs> but I only like just found it because I don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> but it's our first one star review. Oh, okay. And I would like to read it to you. Oh, because no. It is exactly the kind of one star review that we were expecting. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So this is a one-star review. It is called Tried and Denied. Oh, okay. I tried to listen, hoping to find a decent history crime podcast, but instead I found half-done research flavored with pseudo-intellectual politics, which all ended with white supremacy slash nationalism. Word of advice. When someone does not agree with you, it does not automatically make them quote-unquote alt-right white power nationalists. Oh, okay. Cool. So, like, somebody is literally salty at us for talking about racism too much. That's so funny. Like, that is exact, <sighs> like, chef's kiss. That is exactly <laughs> I mean, like, the whatever. kind of one-star review that we were expecting. Hey guys, my name's Kenan. I'm the Dungeon Master of Top of the Round. We are an original and fully produced sandbox-style D&D 5e actual play podcast that prioritizes roleplay and storytelling. Come with us to Ishnar, a dark world filled with secrets, history, and lore. Wait, are people listening to us? Hi, people! Where are the people? I don't know. I don't see them. I don't see them either. People! Where are they? Oh my god, we have to find them! My crossbow is ready. Are you sure we need to find these people? Or will they find us? Show yourselves. I'm not sure how I know this, but you can find us where you find podcasts? Whatever those are. Mondays? What day is it? Don't know. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm your host, Alexandria Youngray, with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. What up, listeners? What up? <laughs> so yeah yeah speaking of like incredibly thin threads mm-hmm. we're gonna be talking about karens for a second yeah this does relate kind of it will make sense <laughs> but it is it is extremely non sequitur for talking about jack the ripper <laughs> we're gonna first define a karen it'll make sense i just bear I'm, with I'm, me I'm, just I'm, bear yeah, with I'm, me i'm ready all right so The concept of a Karen actually goes back to the dawn of the patriarchy. Okay. All right. (laughs) Which is a little bit like, all right, when you're telling these stories about this complex interconnected world of ours, where do you Mm -hmm. start? Do you say like, once upon a time, there was a big bang. (laughs) Right. I don't want to start all the way back there. (laughs) Nobody got time for that shit. um, But the first time it was given a name was back in the Jim Crow era South or possibly earlier. Okay. So, and and this is us connecting race again. But like, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, it's gonna happen. <laughs> I feel like the happen. description I makes said, it obvious. What? Like, you should know better. If <laughs> yeah. you're in this deep already, no complaining. You're in this deep already. So, this is back when um, black people had to refer to white people with honorifics. 
instead okay. of just calling them by their first name. Right. So like sir and ma'am and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And so the name back then was Miss Anne. Okay. And Miss Anne became the generic white lady name used to talk about somebody without directly referring to them. Okay. Miss Anne. Like Karen. Yeah. Like Karen. Or in the 90s, it was Becky. Right. Becky. Yeah. The 90s and like the noughties, it was yeah. Becky. And I think there was a Mr. Charlie as well. Mr. Charlie. Interesting. Okay. You know, for if you needed to talk about a white man yeah. without talking about the white man. There, nothing comes to mind immediately. It's like a male Karen, like a Chad, but you still don't really like use that the same. But like a Chad is a different kind yeah, of I mean. it's not generic shitty white person. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to go down the Chad road. Like, let's stay on track here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, basically, if you needed to refer to somebody without referring to yeah. them, it was Miss Anne or Miss Char- Mr. Charlie. So... These, these women, and, like, we have to acknowledge that, like, this is, you know, middle, middle of the social hierarchy, Mm -hmm. right? But near the top. White women. Yeah. They're not at the top. So they still do experience the oppression of the patriarchy. But they are near enough to the top that they can get the top's attention. Well, they get, like, maximum benefit to oppression ratio. Yeah. Yeah, basically. They are minimally oppressed and maximally benefited as far as where to be on the social ladder, right? Like, wouldn't you think? I mean, like, I don't even know. It's so complex to, like, rate which... Oppression levels. Oppression is worse. But I think the ratio might be a good way to look at it. But, but yeah, the benefits benefits are are definitely high. Yeah. Along with, you know, it's not like oppression is invalid. Oh no, oppression is still oppression even if you're getting paid well, but the the getting paid well for it is not inconsequential either. Yeah. Well, and like it's not like women get paid well. But white women do no, get paid better than yeah. women of other races by well, a and lot. Well, you know, that um that book I tried to share with you, The Sisters and Hate, you know, it's not just like a survival thing, right? That, you know, in certain there're certain cultural values that sort of, you know, women genuinely don't feel oppressed by working, you know, in the home and having that kind of leave it to be your ideal. And in fact, they use that to their advantage to, like, get more financial stability. Mm. And that, that is, like, that is a legitimate approach. It's not like you can't you can't just assume that every woman who's benefiting from the patriarchy is doing so against her will and secretly feeling oppressed. Right. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people who are marginalized don't feel oppressed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's totally true. There can be, like, a level of brainwashing that you know, happens kind of like those don't... women who are like, I don't need sexism because I've never been catcalled. And it's like, that is great for you, but that is definitely not the norm, ma'am. <laughs> right, exactly. Or I don't need feminism I think that just when I've it comes to... I think, yeah. I think it's it's... What's important to acknowledge is when there's that economic shift... Mm-hmm. Where, like, you probably would be okay if you didn't, like, stay in this situation. You know, it's not a life or death situation for you, really, at this point, is it? Like, you know, people like um, like Melania Trump would be a great example. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not survival keeping her there. That's not right. that's not what's happening. It's a benefit. And so her, yeah. her culpability rather than victimhood needs to be recognized. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think that that is actually a great, a great thing to bring up is that, 
the you know the Karen the white woman is not she's not at the top of the social hierarchy but she's pretty far from the bottom well and they talk about it in that book in terms of like benefiting from the existing power structure like even if mm-hmm. you're oppressed yeah it's like you have to be oppressed enough that you're not benefiting from the existing power structure but what she kind of puts forth is that a lot of you know, especially women who end up in the white nationalist movement, whether or not they experience oppression that they themselves can acknowledge and things that they don't like and inequality, uh, still, they stand to lose way more from the status quo changing. Mm. And they stand to gain way more if they just, you know, get better at their job, so to speak, and prop up this this hierarchy that already exists. Right, right. So, so yeah, basically a Karen, in order to maintain her place in the social hierarchy, 100% that will bitch. weaponize her privilege. Yes. And, and so that's where we get into, like, what we literally know about Karens. You know, when you hear Karen, you think of, like, I want to talk to your manager. Right. All the way to calling the cops on a black kid. Right. Yeah. I should have you know. the right to send my daughter to an all-white school. That should be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want those bad influence children around my good white children. Mm -hmm. Even if she doesn't expressly say those words. Yeah. There's a lot of implications that can be like easily read without reaching into a lot of those situations. And so this is where we're going to tie this back into what we're actually talking about. Because it does connect listeners, we swear. (laughs) So let's go back to Edwardian England, which is the England just before Victorian England, which is the time period that we're focusing on. So the quote unquote proper societal expectations of Edwardian England involved being above worldly needs. What does that mean? Above worldly needs. Like the ethereal nature of women? Like you're just like what what You know you know the kinds of Christians that believe that any any desires are sinful? Right. Whether that's the desire for comfortable clothes or for premarital nookie. Yep. <laughs> indulgence is indulgence and indulgence is sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Edwardian England was very intellectual. Mm-hmm. It was back when, like, it was it was back when playboys, like you know, the people who were super, super, super pseudo intellectual playboys. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, so it was back when the people who were super, reading super rich, what they did pants. for fun. What reading poetry to get into ladies' pants? No, we'll get okay. into that. <laughs> I'm sorry. God. <laughs> So this is back when, like, the super, super rich, like, the playboys, what they did instead of, like, getting drunk on yachts was science. Well, that's exciting. That sounds like a much better variety of playboy. You know, this is the uh, the Darwin mm-hmm. area of science. Oh, yeah. So, like, doing and the... coke and, like, having scientific breakthroughs. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the people who discovered, like, most of the dinosaurs in North America Okay. Were this kind of playboy. Okay, too, like Theodore Roosevelt in being like, I'm a rich boy, but I want to go be a rough rider. It's a kind of, I mean, that's like the American yeah, version, right? Yeah, kind of right? like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. A similar kind of era? Yeah. And I mean, that's a little more modern, oh, okay. but like, you it's know, some like, recent. some kind of like 300-year-old, 200-year-old science was done by just rich dudes. And so like their scientific method was like, hmm. hmm. But there was a lot of discoveries done during this right, time. Right, because they could go on like a scientific expedition as like their vacation and their estate yep. could pay for yep. it. 
Yeah. And like the thing that was the, you know, fancy to do thing was to be an intellectual and be above, you know, worldly needs like getting shit faced and having sex and all of that. Right. Being like pure of body and mind and just spending all your time in these like um, elevated kind of pursuits. Yes. Yes. So, you know. We talked about the Victorian perfect woman who lost her virginity to her husband and never strayed. And that's the case for the Victorian or for the Edwardian woman. But she also only had sex for the purpose of producing heirs. Oh, that's that. Nope. Because sex was dirty and thus it was beneath her. That's such a weird double standard. I mean, I, I mean, not, not not to go off on that, but that is such a weird... Like, even just from the, you know, with the other things I've been looking into recently as far as, like, traditional value structures and, you know, the mother's and woman's position within the home and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. to to vilify sex or degrade sex to the point where it can't even be seen as an honorable thing for the sake of producing life, that's, like, mm-hmm. some next-level uptight. Oh, yeah. No, I honestly think that this did some terrible, terrible things for our culture to the extent that it still exists in modern day feminism. I would believe that. I mean, repression really does some, you know, like just when you look at like, you know, church settings and stuff like that, no matter what the religion Mm -hmm. is, where you have like inappropriate contact between like adults and children and all this sorts of thing going on. It's hard for me to not draw the conclusion that like when culture becomes more strict and repressive, it like... There's a weird pressure or or something that happens there that, like, makes people worse. Makes right. people more likely to act out in, like, a really antisocial kind of way, I feel like. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like how people uh, who were raised in Utah County come to Salt Lake and just, like, slut and drug it up for, like, the first right, couple of years or, they're there. Or, or, you know, if we're going to talk about Utah County, you know, porn consumption. <laughs> It's oh my demonstrably God, higher yeah, yeah, yeah. than really conservative, like places where that are statistically known yeah, to be no. really conservative. It's Honestly, like, I think that porn addiction in, in Utah is, is like possibly the highest in the insane. nation. Yeah, it's it not so even like, high because we're so repressed. Right, here. it's stigmatized so much that like just yeah, that it's just set up perfectly to become something. Even if you don't have any necessarily things psychological, it's not like you have to have a pathology to be like curious or be like, oh, I'm feeling a little frisky. I'm gonna like do some googling. You know, you don't. Have, that's not yeah. a pathology. But the yeah. way you engage with it. I mean, literally, it, it like, is the same thing with alcohol right, use in about the to United say, States. That's literally what I was about to say. Is that like, yes. If every time you drink a beer, you're stealing it from the back of the toilet tank, like, mm-hmm. that's addictive behavior and it's going to beget addiction. Yes. It, it, like, that's what happens. It's not about the substance. Yeah. It's about the behavior and how we program addiction into our brains. Like, like come on. American binge drinking mm-hmm. is insane compared to other countries. Because it is so stigmatized here. Right. And so when we get into drinking, we binge drink. Yeah. Same with porn and sex and dr- like all of the things that we have stigmatized once you get into it. Or it becomes a habitual, like obsessive compulsive, like mm-hmm. secret, like, you know, instead of having a big binge drink, it's like, you know, you just habitually like you have to like look at porn. You have to look at porn every day. You have yeah. to do it. And so, like, you know, there's, like, there's the sex-negative feminists that exist in, you know, our modern world. And, and like, I get, like, there are some valid critiques of patriarchal sexuality yes. that sex-negative yes. feminists bring up. But the, but 
but sex negative feminists have a tendency to view sex at all as this dirty thing right. that we should be holding ourselves above mm-hmm. and that shit is left over from edwardian england values that makes perfect sense yeah yeah it's insane so sex was dirty gotta be above that right that's what you're edwardian right. yeah, you still, england but you still want to be like you, know, you want to still be sexually appealing and attractive though I mean, even though Edwardian ladies were covering everything down to their ankles and that was like a scandalous thing uh, to have exposed, you know, there was still that, I mean, I assume there was still that drive to be attractive. No, not real. like, not for, the, like, I think that you still wanted to appear beautiful for your husband, like, aesthetically pleasing for your husband. But not, like, sexu- um, sex- sexually. Not sexual. Hmm. Not sexual. Yeah, sex was below you, and as the as the right, woman of the house, put together it was and respectable, but you don't want to be sexy. Exactly. Yeah. So hmm. um, now a man was also expected to be above the dirt. Right. A it man wasn't was like also the boys expected. Will be boys mentality of like. So so yes and no. Oh, okay. So 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 you know a man he was an intellectual and he was above his worldly desires. Mm-hmm. Etc. Like we talked about that with the Playboys doing science instead of, you know, drinking on yachts with 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 women with women or whatever. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you didn't use like a I don't a know what rich people do like bimbos or something like that. Like maybe there's another <laughs> having a good time too. It's nice respect <laughs> <laughs> with women. <laughs> um, but there was still a little bit of boys will be boys. A man was still a man and he was allowed and even expected to sometimes give in to his worldly desire for sex. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) But he was not expected to go to his wife for these desires. Like, like literally she That's the up on the pedestal and out of the way bullshit. Airs. Yeah, it's like I respect you so much that yes, that you're not she for was this. above the dirt. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. So occasionally, so her crazy. husband would dirty her, would solely her, in order to produce offspring, and that was it. Wow. The Edwardian lady was too good to be laid with. They probably didn't have very many orgasms. Oh, absolutely. I think that was a huge part of why an Edwardian lady had an easy enough time being like, no sex for me, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> kind of sweaty and tiring, but, and like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, so because she was above the dirt, and let's be real, it was because he wasn't giving her anything, you know, any reason to not be no above the dirt. No reason to muck in the mud, huh? <laughs> I have had 17 children and zero orgasms, and I am sad. My <laughs> uterus must be floating around. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, God. That's what hysteria is. Better treat it with a vibrator. With a steampunk era vi- vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we're getting way off track we're here. We're on track. We're on track. Um, Are you sure? Oh, right. Okay. So so the man, you know, didn't, didn't have sex with his wife. Where... Where, where where did the, the gentleman have his worldly needs? Where back? did they dip their wick? Where where did he go? <laughs> Everyone else. <laughs> Everyone else. Everyone else. So sometimes he went to a sex worker or a mistress. So you know he had consensual sex with somebody, but sometimes he would take sex. 
from a domestic worker or a random woman. That's nice. Because everyone was below him, so it was his right to take it. His status enabled him to do so. Exactly. And the lady of the house, in order to maintain her place in the social hierarchy, weaponizing her privilege, was an absolute cunt to any of the women that her husband may use for sex. Right, because she has to be holier than thou, because that's the only position she has. Because she has to be... Because she's trying to maintain her because that's her, where her, her that's status. where her power comes from is in her being. That cleaner. is where her power comes yeah. from. She's not at the top, but she's close to the top, and she wants to stay there. Right. So she has to continue to disenfranchise others as deeply as possible. Exactly. In order to maintain that. And this is literally where the creation of the hatred of sex worker, as well as the assumption that lower class women were sex workers, comes from. I mean, like I'm not gonna lie. Like if I was in that arrangement, I wouldn't be like down. You know, I think I could harbor some resentments pretty easily. To the women that your husband's fucking? Yeah. Like, that could happen. I mean... It's hard for me to imagine... I think it's complicated because, yeah, I don't think that that woman's happy in her life. Right, you'd have to see yourself so differently, too, and something I don't even think I can empathize with. But, like, I do see how that... I guess my point is that, like, from a non-intellectual perspective, I see how the situation could elicit, like, a base kind of... Almost animalistic kind of response of, like... Of course, fuck that bitch. Like, even if there's all these intellectual reasons for me to, like, you know, justify it and be above her and all of that, but also just, like, yeah. Uh-uh. Well, and I mean, like, I think that you have to think about this the same way you think of, like, a partner cheating. Yeah. Like, it is it is so common for people to get mad at the other woman. Mm-hmm. She didn't do nothing. She got fucked by the same guy that fucked right. you. But that's I think that's exactly what I'm saying is, it's like, that's the intellectual... That's the, like, you know, that's the brain thinking, not the, like, mm-hmm. lizard brain thinking. And so I'm just saying well, situations like also can on make top it easier. that, the man is above you in the social hierarchy. Right. So getting mad at him isn't going to do anything. Right. Yeah, you've got to scrap but with somebody at your level. you can be above the people that are below you and make yourself feel better. Yeah. Well, and, and secure your position, too. I mean, because let's mm-hmm. be real, if you don't have any real power, if you're not at the top and your power comes from this very, like, ethereal ethereal value you know of, mm-hmm. of being holy of being clean of being in charge or whatever um mm-hmm. you could lose that so easily yeah you could fall out of favors just as you know it's it's even yeah. if you are i think that's kind of what we were touching on earlier that dichotomy of you know you you have all this privilege and benefit from it so much but in reality if and you're you subjugated, don't lose that right and you, you could you're still just a step away from because the you see what the women who who don't have it live like right and you're you're really ultimately still not that far from that yeah like you know there's plenty of stories of women from that era and and eras even bygone before then of like as soon as they have one error in judgment or something like that they just completely fall Well, and and literally like these are going to be the stories of the women that we tell later in this series beautiful because like none of these women started as homeless right and that's where they end up. Like, ultimately, we are telling the story of homeless women in Victorian England. Yeah. But they didn't start there. Some of them started closer to the bottom than others. Right. But... Well, because the bottom, I mean, I I think that something that was true of Victorian England just as it is true today is that, you know, uneven distribution of wealth, right? The the Absolutely. The bottom is, is broad and deep. <laughs> it's... <Yes. laughs> there's a lot of places you can be at and still be at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Versus. Yeah. 
that position of security. So yeah, all of this information I literally got from talking to my mom about oh, it. Oh, perfect. I love your mom. <laughs> Another pseudo-intellectual. Yeah, no. <laughs> Dude, my mom's getting a PhD right now, but like YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of fucking dumb bitches, am I right? <laughs> we don't think we have boob. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, uh, my mom took this, oh God, I think it was whiteness theory. Okay. So my mom's getting a PhD in physics education. Okay. So not just in understanding physics, but in like, also, there's a lot of social... Uh, Social science that goes into understanding teaching. Yeah, actually, it's really funny because, like, my background is 100% social science and my mom's is 100% like science, yeah. science. And so my mom will be like, oh my God, I don't know how to deal with writing these papers. And I'm like, mom, you just like. But that makes perfect sense for your mom, little, too. Because, like, like, you know, you've been awkward, but you still have like better social acuity. You know, you get it. Mm-hmm. You sometimes can't execute it, but you still fucking get it. And your mom is a little. Yeah. More obtuse. Yeah, my mom was like, why? <laughs> why do we have to do this? <laughs> why do social, why? Why can't we just do math? <laughs> yeah. Math is always the same answer. <laughs> it's not nearly so arbitrary and subjective. Yeah. Um, but but basically, uh, one of the things that my mom learned about was uh, this weird like concept of Karens and Edwardian England and how, like, white women used their power to subjugate other people. So if Ugh. we wanted to have mom on for yes. like a mini episode to talk about. But yeah, just wanted to have that weird introduction to why we hate sex workers because I learned that recently and I thought it was super relevant. <laughs> why we hate sex. Yep, yep. 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 It's literally why we hate sex workers. And... So I was struggling with this because I was like, why is it offensive that we just outright assumed that these women were prostitutes? Like, because it's not that I hate sex workers. I support sex workers. And then I realized, like, it's the same as calling somebody crazy who's not crazy. You are both offending that person for calling them something they're not. And you're dehumanizing people with mental illness. And you're offending crazy people for stigmatizing crazy people right yeah you know if you're like oh my god you're so fucking bipolar haha <laughs> that's so offensive not just to the person that you're calling bipolar but also to bipolar people yeah <laughs> yeah that's what uh, yeah brief aside that's what's so weird about working in a therapeutic environment where people are actually diagnosed bipolar and then like I have students that know that shit about each other. So then one of them's being cunty. The other one looks like you're being so fucking bipolar. And it's like, well, they probably are. Cut them some slack. That's valid. (laughs) That one's a little more valid. (laughs) So we might want to say something about, or I guess just highlight the uh, women oppressing other women. Maybe a little stronger. I guess we got that. I think we got that. Yeah. Because honestly, women repressing other women is not... That hard to grasp, I guess, huh? That's not even, like, how hard it is to grasp or not, so much as, like, it is not the most important part of the story. Right, right. That's true. Men oppressing women is the most important part of the story. But women oppressing women is basically the dawn of the hatred of sex workers. Right, that makes sense. And, like, this weird universal belief that sex is dirty, and therefore working in sex is somehow... It is wrong mm-hmm. in all of the ways that it could be wrong. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, because I guess without the sanctity of, you know, the mother figure that you're married to, then why would sex work be a problem? Like, if you don't put the one up on the pedestal, then why would you need to even put the other down? Yeah. And just, like, you know... I'm sure that... I'm 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 sure that the men that were using sex workers during this time were not respecting them. But men don't respect women. Right. It doesn't that's exactly what I mean. Is like Like that's universal. Right, that's kind of exactly <laughs> what I was I think trying to I was having a hard time expressing and that's exactly what I was trying to get to is that like not to say it's not worse because you're in a lot more vulnerable. Something again that they reference only briefly in that book is another author and I wish I could remember her name who um or different types of feminism as well ha- like some feminist movements will acknowledge there's an inherent power dynamic in sex, just given the genders involved, or in heterosexual sex, just given the genders involved. Mm-hmm. And right. some some don't. Some only. And that's see the it as sex a... negative feminism that I think has some validity. <laughs> right. That's and that's yeah. That's how they acknowledge it too. Is they're like this is an element. This is something that's missing in the kind of more uh, what they call choice feminism, where it's like if you're choosing to do it of your own free will, it's feminist because you're choosing it. But but choice feminism can sometimes miss out on the uh, inherent complicating factors that you can't just pretend these these yeah. gendered influences don't exist. You know, you can't just mm-hmm. choose. You can't just like choose to be a right. proud slut within a vacuum. That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also kind of like how. You know, it's easy for me to say, like, you know, fuck your beauty standards. Yeah, you can say fuck it all you want, but you still feel it, right? And, like, (laughs) everyone is beautiful. Everybody is beautiful. Like, society telling you what's beautiful isn't what's actually beautiful. And it's another for me to actually feel that way about myself. Right, to stop wearing makeup and plucking your eyebrows and, you know, wearing a bra that makes your tits look good. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because, yeah, we don't don't exist in a Right, because you can't separate theology from people's lived experiences it's not doesn't work yeah. so we'll so, start talking about the uh, white chapel murders now that we've covered our karens now that we've covered everything ever yeah 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 yeah. okay so i just want to do one more like background okay. thing before we get into actually the plot line the plot line well, that's, that's reasonable it's a narrative, story yeah narrative form fits all things <laughs> yeah i i narrative form things you know how it's i perfect. do perfect it's very accessible but i want to talk about the investigation okay it's like generally and why a lot of the information that we have is low-key bullshit okay <laughs> low-key bullshit meaning not trustworthy not like reliable factually. yeah a lot of the sources that we have are so not reliable okay. yeah and so like again i gotta give it to like Haley rubenhold for she did above and beyond research you know she was checking not just like the normal sources but just everything everywhere holy shit she she went deep dive so that she could at least make some very very educated inferences Mm -hmm. as opposed to just reading the newspapers from the time well and believing the newspapers yeah okay you know so there was a lot of difficulties with this investigation for one the Whitechapel H Division of the Metropolitan Police had never worked on a murder investigation of this size or this notoriety before. Okay, so totally like big fish, little or little fish, big pond syndrome. Yeah, it was way larger than life for the police force to even wrap their heads mm-hmm. around. 
And then, you know, there's the obvious stuff of, like, forensics wasn't as good right. back then. You know, it was taking footprint markers. They didn't have fingerprints yet. They obviously didn't have DNA yet. Right. I don't think they, they didn't even have blood typing yet, I don't think. Oh, they probably didn't. Like, yeah. Because they yeah. come out with the Reese's Monkey Study, which would have been maybe a little later. We're both looking it up. When did blood typing start? Oh my god, you are so right! 1900! Literally, like, 12 years later. Oh, you boss. Yeah, thank you. I remember some random Way to things. go. Way to go. Yeah, thank you. That's very <laughs> satisfying when you remember, like, that was some trivia that, like, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Blood type and monkeys. Bam. Blood type and monkeys. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Huge, huge case. Over 2,000 people were interviewed, and over 300 people were investigated as potential suspects. That seems like too many. Sure a lot. Cast a wide net. You're going to get some... Uh, Big old net. What your data is going to get muddled. Yeah, like, remember when we were covering Jacob Wetterling, mm-hmm. and how the case and like the investigation was right, just... mismanaged because it was so big that's exactly what i was getting at like you can't have that wide of a net and expect to get any kind of clear results yeah yeah and they had a wide net because they had never done anything this big they're just like oh we'll talk to everybody shit yep yep it's really it's really the fact that we were still doing that in the 70s that's bullshit um... <laughs> right it's like kind of understandable like okay you guys are figuring it out victorian era england like We'll cut yeah. your, your legal system some slack. <laughs> but like 70s and 80s. Are you for real? <laughs> but um, along with the Whitechapel police was a vigilance committee of civilians who attempted to aid the investigation. So kind of like Neighborhood Watch? Kind of. But like volunteer investigators? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, one thing that they did was they petitioned the government for reward money. That's for the right. murderers Yeah, capture. that's like a reasonable thing, right? Yeah, and, like, they also put up their own reward money, so, like, you know... That's maybe helpful. Like, yeah, community involvement, get it. But mostly they went around investigating on their own, or, you know, using private detectives to help them investigate. Right. Which often involved them just running around and beating up people That's that what I was looked about to like say, they might like be. threatening and getting bogus tips and just being, like... Yeah, yeah. So, I think probably not the most helpful. No. <laughs> also, as no one was ever arrested or tried Mm -hmm. for these murders, the public's fear and curiosity was only sated by the five coroner's inquests performed for each victim. How would that sate their fear? I can see the curiosity being sated, but that would not make me feel any better. Yeah. Mostly their curiosity was sated. Even then, (laughs) (laughs) So a coroner's inquest is like a trial, but without a defendant. Right. Okay. The whole purpose is to piece it together the story of the circumstances and like what happened, how the death happened, etc. using witness testimony before a jury. Okay. And then the jury kind of goes, yes, I believe that's how it happened or no, I don't think this is how it happened. I guess. So they're kind of deciding is a story true false rather than But yeah, there's no there's no like, oh, here's who's at fault. Yeah. Okay. And these were held publicly and widely covered by newspapers because this is a big fucking not- notorious case. Right. Newspapers were all up in that bitch. Yeah, of course. Nearly everything that we know about these five women, the canonical victims mm-hmm. of Jack the Ripper, comes from these coroner's inquests. 
which A, were insufficient at the time due to a lack of thoroughness in examination. Right, like just early coroners inquest shit, like, of course. Yeah. And uh, the jury asked relatively few follow-up questions. Because what would they even, I mean, what are they supposed to ask about that? Like, really? And also, you know, there were the inferences and assumptions that were made by the people in power that basically became canon. Right, the accepted narrative. Mm-hmm. Inconsistencies were rarely questioned. If one witness said this and it was completely different than what another witness who said this said, the jury just let it go. So there's a lot of weird inconsistencies in different witness statements. Oh, that's nice. And to make matters worse, most of the official inquests have been lost or destroyed somehow or stolen or whatever. The inquests themselves are gone. Really? So much of the information that we have isn't actually from the coroner's inquests at all. It's from newspapers covering the coroner's inquests. Oh, that's even worse than like, I thought it was going to be like hearsay or something by people who read them. But no, it's even worse. It's... It, it's it's people trying it's to sell newspapers, newspapers which includes whatever embellishments they right. added to entice their unfortunately readers. the news media has a history of some sense whether even if you don't believe in fake news <laughs> there's no denying that news is a business and so they're gonna embellish and they're gonna do stuff to mm-hmm. make it sell yeah it's not there's yeah. there's an inherent issue with reliability there yeah basically you have just like you're playing telephone with human error that's like a tertiary yeah that's a tertiary source that's terrible yeah so a lot a lot of the information that we have is bullshit you know we can make some assumptions there's a lot of data from other sources that Haley rubenhold used Mm -hmm. to write this book but the inquests themselves a lot of them lost and the news like it's so it's so all over the place so now we're going to get into the actual story of the Whitechapel murders. Let's. And this is pretty much the only time that we're basically covering Jack the Ripper, quote unquote, in what happened. Okay. And then we'll actually get into the stories of these women and it'll be their stories. But but we will tell the timeline on this day. Great. I love it. <laughs> this is the day. This is the day. So... The canonical five victims of Jack the Ripper actually came out of a larger group of 11 unsolved murders of impoverished women in or near Whitechapel between 1980 or 19 <laughs> between 1888 and 1891. Okay. Most likely multiple murderers were responsible for these deaths. Right, because there's not enough that would tie them all together. Yeah, a lot of like a lot of the the deaths are Really unrelated. Right, like, obviously. You know? The thing that that ties the Whitechapel murders together is the location Mm -hmm. and time and that they were unsolved. Right. So they can't all be related. Impoverished women in Whitechapel between 1888 and 1891. We don't know who done it. Right. And that is what ties the Whitechapel murders together. That's a pretty, again, casting a wide net. Yeah. Now, the three, there, there are three things that link the five canonical victims to Jack the Ripper. Okay. All of the women, all of these five women died consecutively over the span of only a few months. So they were, so, so there were no murders between them that could possibly not be attributed to Jack the Ripper. Is that what you mean? There are no murders between them that are Whitechapel murders that are believed to be attributed to Jack the Ripper. 
or to be attributed Someone to him. Okay, okay. Yes, got it. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. We're on the same Yes, you are okay. correct. And they were within half a mile of each other. So just close proximity. Right. Gotcha. And they all died in the same way with similar subsequent wounds to their bodies. Okay. So all of the canonical Ripper victims died from a sliced throat. And apart from a murder believed to have been interrupted, all of the victims received varying levels of disembowelment. Okay. Depending on like the time that the killer had post post kill. Yeah. So we'll actually, um, we'll talk about, that's the double event and we'll talk about that. So the first murder of the Whitechapel murders was Emma Elizabeth Smith, who became the first victim in the Whitechapel murders on April 3rd, 1888. In the early morning hours, Two to three men physically and sexually assaulted Emma. Mm. And we know this because she actually initially survived the attack and walked back to her lodging house where she was staying at the time. Poor Emma. And then she was taken to London Hospital. Okay. However, Emma died the following day from her injuries. Okay, so she was getting raped to death. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because this was clearly a gang attack, most people are are on the same page that Emma was not a Jack the Ripper victim. Right. That sounds yeah. Not like she like survived the, deal. the attack initially. She was able to say there was a few guys. Yeah, that doesn't sound not Jack yeah, the Ripper. No. The next woman to die was Martha Tabram. She died August seventh at about two thirty a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one heard a sound beyond the cry of murder. And Martha was stabbed 39 times. Holy shit. But she was not slashed the way the canonical five victims were. 39 times. Yeah. That takes Whoever so much killed energy. Her, yeah. So. This one's a little more on the fence. Right, like maybe he was just ramping up and figuring out kind of what he liked mm-hmm. and what worked for him. And, and Yeah, so this actually does kind of line up with the, like the idea that a serial killer might kind of have like be an a little messier on their then, like first kill. Yeah, yeah, when they're like really letting it out before they figure out their method and... and... Yeah, and like there's a different MO a lot of the times. It's more impulsive, less right, planned. Right, less refined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. However, 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 the coroner's report indicates that two different weapons were used. That would make sense for 39 times. And some were done by a right-handed person, while the others were done with a left-handed person. Right, again, making a lot more sense for 39 stabs. For 39 stabs. So essentially, this may have been another murder perpetrated by multiple offenders. Right, another gang kind of situation. Yeah, and that seems to be the 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 case for the first two Whitechapel victims, mm-hmm. um, where that they were murdered by multiple men. Yeah, and I mean I don't know. It's possible that Jack the Ripper was an ambidextrous dual wielder, but <laughs> let's be real. Like 
<laughs> he didn't do it with any of the other victims. I don't think well, that... Well, not to get, like, I don't know. This is definitely dipping my toes in an area where I, like, can't even pretend to be an expert. But just the amount of energy and strength it takes to punch somebody 39 times, like, stabbing is harder. Like, there's no yeah. way that one guy was just sitting there like... <gasps> Like, I'm sorry. No. Well, I mean, uh, Jack the Ripper really fucked up some of his victims. Yeah, I mean, there could... Yeah, you're right. There could be some extenuating circumstances that could lead to extra brutality, for sure. Yeah. It is is really the fact that it seems to have been done by two different hands that's like, uh, nah. Yeah. Probably, probably. Well, this and was just the level of brutality, I guess, would be outstanding for one individual. Like that would be extra exceptional. Oh, you're gonna be upset when we get into this. Oh, great, goody goody. Because Jack the Ripper was a brutal guy. Yeah, I know. All right. So now is our first canonical victim, and she'll be the first woman that we cover when we actually get into the women's okay. stories. Marianne, or Polly Nichols, she went by Polly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but her name was Marianne Nichols, but we'll be calling her Polly for her story. She became the first canonical Jack the Ripper victim in the early morning of August 31st. Okay. Polly had her throat cut and her abdomen mutilated. Oh, nice. Which was the MO. Yep, that fits. And her story and the story of the next four women will be our next five episodes. Lovely. Fantastico. Yeah. And I'm really excited. Their stories are a lot. So sad, but so good. <laughs> yeah. There's so much. If I could read the memoir of every person who ever lived, that would be totally cool. <laughs> I, you yeah, know? yeah, I get what you're saying. For sure. And and so, you know, just learning about the lives of these women, like they're so diverse and they're so nuanced and there's so many different things that characterize them and and happened to them or that they did that make them so unique. And it and it just furthers what a travesty this is that like that we're like, oh, yeah, Jack the River, he murdered some hoes. Right, because I think it adds insult to injury, right? It's not just the, like, injustice of having your life cut short and being murdered. It's the albeit complicated nature of then getting labeled a prostitute after the fact and kind of just swept under the rug as though, mm-hmm. you know, who you yeah. were as a person didn't matter beyond that. Yeah, just the fact that, like, their, not only did their life get taken from them, but their story. Right, dignity, human value. You know, like, okay, sure, someday we're all going to be forgotten, whatever. But, like, I want to be remembered for the life that I lived. Right, they didn't have that Not for being some whore that got murdered by some guy. Right, and I think that's a perfect way of saying it, is, like, it's not like anybody expects or should expect to be remembered forever and live in immortality. It's just that, you know, maybe that you shouldn't immediately just be fit into somebody else's narrative and labeled as something less than human eternity Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like god there's so many there's so many stories that portray jack the ripper as somebody who was trying to clean up whitechapel by murdering the local sex workers not even just what the ones that directly are like you know retellings or, or, or iterations of jack the ripper but how pervasive that i don't know type of psychosis is like you watch um uh 
Murder by Numbers, you watch Criminal Minds, you watch X-Files, you watch any procedural drama, regardless of how, you know, what where on the spectrum it lies, if it's more like realistic, if it's more supernatural, whatever, pretty much any procedural drama will have that sort of theme and that sort of like archetypal murder situation where some guy, whether rightly or wrong, takes to cleaning up the streets by murdering women. That's like a mm-hmm. very, very common plot setup. Yeah. And I mean, I think that I think that we might have talked about this last episode, but like um, that was literally the M.O. for like Gary Ridgway, who killed 50 or more women because he was murdering prostitutes. Right. And so it's, it's, it's happening. It gets the cycle gets repeated in reality and in yeah. fiction. And so like not only did the police not care to investigate these missing women, but also he justified his actions by saying he was cleaning up the streets. Right. The, uh, the, the social beliefs and attitudes that allow the situation to happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's, you know, it's shockingly obvious how it perpetuated to modern day. He was, he was being a good moral Christian removing sex workers from the world. Right. Which is, again, I think that falls into that sort of weird Karen territory where it's like, even if, right. even if housewives can get behind the fact that it's wrong, that people like Gary Ridgway, you know, were, were, murdering women the way that they were or or jack the ripper in the victorian era there is still again that like moralistic um high ground where it's like well right if they weren't right. well but maybe you, these women deserve yeah, it exactly if they weren't out there being immoral and selling their bodies then then maybe that mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened to them <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah okay. no honestly if we're being totally if we're being totally honest like the 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 background that i gave you of the edwardian england you know being better than the woman that your that your husband slept with this is literally the reason that we argue maybe she deserved it for rapes. Or maybe she's somehow complicit or culpable. I don't know. It's complicated. So complicated. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, absolutely. You can do things to make you more or less safe. But again, it doesn't doesn't make bad things happening to you, right? No, it definitely doesn't make it justified or retributive. Um, retributive? <sighs> You know, it doesn't make a retribution either. Right. Yeah. And I definitely think that, like, um, you know, that weird Edwardian England, I am better than the women that my husband takes for sex, is literally the reason that we demonize rape survivors. Right. And excuse the behavior of rapists. Yeah. Because the husband was permitted to do whatever. Well, it's too, it's... While the women that he fucked were the bad guy. Right, well, because it's it's turning, like, a sexual urge into an animalistic urge, which is, like, then then lends itself to the same kind of application of logic of, like, well, what did you expect? You left your dog inside all day. Of course you shit on the floor. You know, and it lends itself right. to the boys will be boys mentality. Mm-hmm. Where... Right, and it's like, what if we held boys to a higher standard than we hold... Our pets. Right? My dog shouldn't. <laughs> what if we hold sentient human beings My dog shouldn't who are capable of, there we go. of participating in society <laughs> to a higher standard than we hold our furry little friends? <laughs> what if? Because, like, because, like, yeah, if I leave my dog in all day and they shit on the floor, like, that's my yeah, fault. Yeah, you kind of feel bad that. about it. Like, you tortured but them. But my or dog's not allowed to rape. <laughs> For the most part, unless it's their, unless it's the blanket in their kennel, then like whatever. 
Look, the dog can hump stuff. <laughs> so, quick story about Polly. Uh, <laughs> so, the next woman to die in the Whitechapel murders was Annie Chapman. Chapman. Uh, she was murdered just a week after Polly. Okay. Uh, a tenant at the building where Annie died discovered her body at 6 a.m. on September 8th. And again, her throat had been cut. And she had also been disemboweled. And her uterus was missing? Ooh. Don't like that. So whoever murdered her literally opened her up, threw her intestines over her shoulder, and grabbed her uterus. Do you think they knew that that's like... I... I... I'm not you sure. You know, that, like, that's like what he was going for. Was it intentional? Like, I'm specifically grabbing the uterus for like a uterus reason? Or like... Was it just, I don't, I know I don't want the guts, I'll take this other organ. That's weird. I don't know, that's a yeah, weird question, like, but. Mm. Well, no, because like, because like there is some like, I don't know, some like metaphorical value to stealing the uterus right, or whatever. Specific, like it is, like it when, is connected to the vagina, it's a feminine thing, blah, blah, right, blah. Right, it's like when breasts get cut off or something. It's like, that's that, that yeah. feels like it's more meaningful. But also, the uterus is a really fun looking organ. Well, and I mean, just, you know, outside of that, um, you know, just the level of information and education people had access to at the time. I know there's a lot of theories that like, oh, uh, you know, Jack the Ripper had to be maybe an upper caste sort of person of society. Um, Mm. But still, even then to like, to be able to identify. I mean, if he had any, if he had any medical knowledge or any knowledge as a butcher, right, able, he would know what a uterus yeah, was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's a particularly niche group of people at that time to be able to identify or see specific value in literally any specific organ. Right. Well, but the thing is that like a lot of people have speculated, like it is a very, very common speculation that Jack the Ripper was a butcher or a surgeon. Okay. And I think that specifically grabbing organs was the reason that people think that. Which is valid. That's exactly what I guess my because point. Because he would have had to have some kind of knowledge right. of the internal body. That day, I mean, even now, like, I don't feel confident that I could cut open any kind of cadaver and be like, there's the uterus, like this, this is the one. I mean, maybe I could. I could find the uterus. By, like, location, I guess, because I have one. But you know what I mean? Like, still, it's not like... I don't know if I could find the uterus on a non-human. Right. You know what I'm saying. Like if it's I opened like a frog, I don't think I'd be able to find. Actually, do frogs even have uterus? They have a cloaca or something like like, which I know that's more like a. No, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah. If it's a uterus, I think they on keep the like egg sacs inside of their tummy. Yeah, um, so they have probably have ovaries, but not uteri. Yeah. <laughs> but I, if I opened, if I opened a person, I think I could find the uterus. Yeah, probably. Maybe I'm, like, over... It doesn't hurt that I know exactly where mine is. Right. Maybe I'm underestimating the situation. I guess my point is that anytime an organ... Anything specific like that is taken, it indicates a higher level of knowledge because you have to know enough to be able to be specific in what you're taking. Clearly, we need to play that stupid surgeon simulator game and see if we can find organs <laughs> clearly that's what this is telling us clear this is this is the moral of this episode of pomegranates I think that and pitchforks we should, uh, or i guess i say, you say we but i mean you when you post the uh, images for this episode on instagram i think you should probably link to that game <laughs> oh my god <laughs> can you find the uterus 
how easy is it to find a uterus? But I mean, if you're disemboweling somebody, I don't know. But also, of all of the organs, it, was I think that the heart is probably the most interesting looking. But wasn't Whitechapel also notoriously the dark? The uterus is pretty neat looking because it's like a little. Right, but okay, a little Here, thing here's one with point. Like little antenna. Here's one point. Okay. Whitechapel, you already brought up specifically, mm-hmm. was notoriously dark, and these murders took place at night. And then the culprit is taking specific organs. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, actually, and Annie, Annie died like. In a dark alley. All right. Just something to consider. So does that mean that he was just grabbing randomly? Or does that mean that he I was think that, really again, knowledgeable I think of the inside? I think, it's a, I think it's a ratio, right? Like, that increases, you know, it either has to be extra, extra random. Or he has mm-hmm. to be extra, extra educated. Right. Or experienced, yeah. I guess I should say. Right. Well, and I mean, again, if he was a surgeon or a butcher... He would have known how to find a uterus. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think if I were to perform surgery on a human, I could find a uterus, but not in the pitch black. Yeah. <laughs> if I if I was performing surgery without any light sources, I think I would be able to find the intestines because those are long. They're obvious. They're right there. And they're and you just they're most of what's inside <laughs> of you. <laughs> God, we're fucked up. I'm so sorry, listeners, for us existing. <laughs> yeah, just just please know we're sorry too. We we also see what's happening and also do not like it. <laughs> we also yeah. wish it would stop. I, I, we've gotten to the point where we are talking about really horrifying things, and so we're joking more yeah. because that is how we handle horif- horrifying events. Yep, pretty much. All right, so now we're going to get into the double event, and I was going to – I was telling you that I was going to yeah, yeah, yeah. tell you a little mm-hmm. bit about that. So this is a weird thing that happened. So it's September 30th, so it's been like a few mm-hmm. weeks. And at 1 a.m., Elizabeth Stride was discovered shortly after her death. Her throat had been cut, but her body had not been mutilated. Okay. So some believe – that this means that she wasn't actually a victim of Jack the Ripper. And some believe that her murderer had been interrupted. And we don't have any conclusive evidence one way or the other. No, not no. at all. Not even remotely. No. But it would explain why there was a second murder that night so quickly right, unfinished after business. the first. Because he didn't get what he wanted. Right. That makes perfect sense. The second murder that happened on September 30th happened less than an hour after the first. Right, that's a pretty strong correlation, I would say. Because even in a place yeah, that I imagine exactly has high it. murder rates compared to, you know, just with everything we covered in previous episodes about Whitechapel, it would definitely be reasonable to assume that it has higher murder rates than maybe a more posh district, right? But even that seems a bit But it close. wasn't even that high of murder rates. Right, well, and I, guess, I guess my point is that regardless of, of how high murder rates potentially are or aren't, an hour time mm-hmm. difference is definitely a strong indicator mm-hmm. of correlation. Yeah. I mean, literally, like, so the 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 Whitechapel murders are 11 murders over three years that are unsolved. Yeah. And these two happen within an hour of each other. Right. Yeah. That makes a stronger yeah. connection for sure. So, so that's, I think, the, so, so like, A, Elizabeth's throat was cut the way normal Jack the Ripper victims were. Mm-hmm. And also, he didn't get what he wanted from her, mm-hmm. so another murder took place less than an hour after Which that. Which, again, I mean... 
it seems really indicative that it was done by the same yeah. person. For those of us who grew up watching procedural crime dramas for fun as high school students, <laughs> that seems totally rational. <laughs> right. Right. And honestly, like, it does make sense. It does make a lot of sense. It does seem more likely that somebody attempted to mutilate one woman, was interrupted, so found another woman to mutilate, than two murderers murdered within half an hour of or an hour of each other right yeah in the same area yeah exactly the second murder that night was of Catherine or kate eddowes mm-hmm. uh she was discovered at 1 45 a.m elizabeth was at 1 a.m Catherine eddowes was at 1 45 oh, that's not even an hour like i said less yeah, than yeah, an yeah. hour okay so again it appeared as if she'd only just recently been murdered mm-hmm. So, you know, get from point A to point B, fast murder. And again, her throat had been cut. But in this case, her face and torso had been severely mutilated. Right, like he was more frustrated and then acted out more strongly. He went bonkers on this woman's body. This time, the the murderer took both her uterus and her kidney. Okay. Which, again, indicates some knowledge of... Internal organs. Right. Because another uterus was taken. Right. That consistency sort of solidifies the idea that he was being specific instead of just sort of randomly grabbing for something in the dark. That it wasn't just a random organ. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you talk like, like I say the uterus is kind of fun looking, but then, you know, he also took the kidney, which that absolutely requires some knowledge of what stuff is or where stuff is. Because the kidney's just sort of organ shape right but that is also a reasonable level of specificity considering how common it is to eat kidneys yeah again a butcher would know where yeah, it is because that's like a thing that you would dress down an animal and specifically set that piece aside the uterus not so mm-hmm. much at all that doesn't that yeah doesn't play you would definitely things. take it out and you'd know what it was yeah but you wouldn't take it out as like an individual item that's something you take out as like just the rest With of the everything guts. Yeah. It's not a kidney. But you still probably know what I mean, yeah, you do, but... I don't know. I feel like most stuff got eaten. My point is that, like, things like kidneys and livers and hearts were specifically removed as, like, this is a marketable item, whereas Mm -hmm. other things I don't think were so much. Yeah, I've never heard of people expressly eating uteruses. The kidney is important, and we will get into that. I feel like some Silence of the Lamb shit's coming on. There's a nice Chianti and some fava beans. There absolutely is. So now we're going to get into the letters. Okay. Pa- pause for weird investigative shit. <laughs> so hundreds, if not thousands of letters were sent all over England claiming to have been written by Jack the Ripper himself. Okay. Victorian so, name form. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a... It is a weird thing that happens in particularly public crimes that people start claiming to be the mm-hmm. criminal. And it is weird. And I don't understand it because I have no desire to do that. But a lot of people will start getting involved in a way that makes them more involved. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's the desire to be more connected feeling, to I think a big story. I think it's feeling important. Yeah, like, but but yeah, no, like lots of people want to claim to be 
the criminal in a notorious case and it happens. Yeah. And that was absolutely what was happening in this case. And three letters in particular stand out. If we wanted to, we could have episodes and episodes on all of the fucking okay. Jack the Ripper letters. But that would be maybe a just huge one. Waste maybe of time. just one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna cover three letters. <laughs> so the first important letter is called the Dear Boss Letter. Okay. It was dated for September 25th and postmarked for September 27th. And the Central News Agency received the letter on September 27th and then forwarded it to Scotland Yard on September 29th. Okay. And this is the longest of the letters. Okay. The Dear Boss. Do you want to read it or do you want me? Ooh, ooh, I'll read it. Okay. Dear Boss. I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about the leather apron gave me real fits. I'm down on the whores, and I shan't quit ripping them until I get bucked. Oh, sorry. Buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I shall do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for the jolly. Wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Haha. <laughs> Oof. What? <laughs> yeah, so all of those hahas were in there. I love that people were writing haha in Victorian era England. Like, I feel so <laughs> awkward and immature, like, and improper writing haha in, like, a Facebook message. Anything that's not and a text I love message. That, like, <laughs> like, 1880s Jack the Ripper impersonators are writing haha in their confession letters. <laughs> so he mentions the joke about Leather Apron. Mm-hmm. And before Jack the Ripper became Jack the Ripper, he was just the Whitechapel murderer. Mm-hmm. Or leather apron. And leather apron meaning a butcher? And leather apron because he was assumed to be a butcher. Okay, okay. So he's implying that he's a doctor? Uh, He's talking about how they call him a doctor now. Yeah. So I wonder if his implication is that's more on the right track than being leather apron. Because that leather apron joke gave me fit- gave me real fits. Dude, I don't like, know. I don't know what the so implication is. So funny you think I'm a butcher. Like, <laughs> it is. Like, this is... This is very, very, almost nearly certainly not a real letter from Jack the Ripper himself. Yeah, because the whole Jack the Ripper, don't mind me giving my trade name. Yeah, and this letter is what gave the name Jack the Ripper. And honestly, if he had stayed Leather Apron, he probably wouldn't be as notoriously famous. So are we taking the track that we, A, do not believe this is a genuine Jack the Ripper letter, but B are willing to credit it with the as being the like progenitor of his of his namesake. 
Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So so the thing is, usually serial killers get their names from the newspapers. Right, they don't name themselves. And if we're being honest, this is still the serial killer getting their name from the newspaper. It's just that the newspaper tried to pretend to be the serial killer. <laughs> Are you suggesting that you think the newspaper wrote this letter? Not a crazy person? Yes, and I'll get into okay. that. Okay, just that was a very specific way to like go about that. Yeah. So, so really, the reason that I'm bringing in this letter to our episode is because, like we've said before, we're not expressly a true crime podcast. We cover true crime because of the societal implications. We are a sociological horror podcast. Right, right. What makes people scared and act freaky. And sometimes that includes true crimes when those crimes affect the zeitgeist of our horror. Right. Yeah, yeah. What makes people get scared and act freaky? So in this situation, I am almost certain that this was not written by Jack the Ripper. But it is still an incredibly important letter in the Jack the Ripper story because it literally gave Jack the Ripper his name. Right, it establishes the the brand, as it were. Mm Mm-hmm. So initially, this letter was written off as one of the bajillion hoax letters that already was rotating around the fucking English countryside legitimately but the ear cutting mentioned in the letter Mm. somewhat matched Kate's ear being cut off when her face was mutilated and Kate was last murder before the letter was sent Kate was the the second murder in the double event who had her face severely mutilated that said her ear being cut off seemed a lot more like an incidental thing to just overall face mutilation. It seemed like an accidental nicking off of her ear. Well, and this could be a, a complete and epic reach. So just, you know, feel free to be like, sometimes that's bullshit or like, cut it from the episode. But especially because <laughs> I'm literally about to reference like Netflix shows from the same era. But, you know, you look at things like, um, well, I guess Peaky Blinders was a little bit later. But, you know, for, for a culture that has a lot of um, crime and poverty and... Uh, criminal organization on the street, somebody losing their ears is not really that big of a stretch as far as like a mutilation to threaten. Like mutilating people for uh, for for purposes of torture or for purposes of like, you know, street control and gangs and things like that. Like that's been a long-standing practice. So specifically, you know, uh, her ears ending up being mutilated and ears being mutilated being threatened in the letter might not be that strong mm-hmm. of a connection because it might be more of a common thing yeah. to have happen at that time anyway, if that makes sense. Well, and honestly, I think what we're looking at here is um, how you look at the statistics. Mm-hmm. Did you know that in a group of friends of like, I think it's 10 or 15 people, mm-hmm. it's not a lot of people. The chances are actually more likely than not that two people will share a birthday. And how many people? 23 people in the room. Really? So not that many. If there is 23 people, there is a 50-50 chance that at least two people will have the same birthday. Okay. So it's like the birthday statistic but applied to ears being mutilated in Victorian era England. Yeah. (laughs) So if you look at the chance that somebody's birthday will fall on a specific day, it's one in 365. But if you look at the chance of... Out of 23 people, two people sharing a birthday, it's 50-50. 
So what we're really looking at here is if you take a letter and claim that something is going to happen, and then you take thousands of letters being sent around. One of them is bound to be right and get something that might happen. Eventually, one of those letters is going to guess something okay, accurate. Yes. It's kind of like the horoscope. Yep. You make, yep. A, you make like, it a broad oh, enough I societal. I am such a loyal friend and I'm willing I'm to trust until my trust is broken. You're such a Virgo, Alex. <laughs> I'm such a Virgo. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So... So yeah, honestly, I think that's what happened is that like just from sheer dumb luck, this letter got famous because- It gave a name and it mentioned a thing that happened? It mentioned cutting somebody's ear off and somebody's ear was cut. Yeah. And and that is literally like one of those like one in a million chances, but let's be real, somebody was going to get something right. Chances. That's how Jack the Ripper got named. Okay. (laughs) Yay. So Arnold the, the second letter, <laughs> probably written by the same person, mm-hmm. same handwriting, same tone, is known as the Saucy Jack postcard. Is that because messy? No, it's because he literally referred to himself as Saucy Jackie. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's, it's embarrassing. Like, the way that these first two letters are written are so childish and weird. All right, so this postcard was postmarked and received by the Central News Agency again on October 1st. Okay. Which doesn't make no sense because, you know, if he's writing, he'd write to the same person, maybe, probably, maybe. But this was the day after the double event. Okay. The postcard contained the reference to the double event, which gave Mm -hmm. it some credibility. It was also written in the same tone handwriting as the Dear Boss letter. We talked about that. Yeah. But again, the postcard gave name to the double event by calling it the double event. And that's why we now call it the double event. The double event. Right. This could just be a journalist being extra spicy. Yeah. I was not codding, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jack's work tomorrow. Saucy Jackies. Oh, Saucy Jackies. I'm sorry. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit. Couldn't finish straight off. Ha. Not got the time to get the ears for police. Thanks for get. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So, again, just... So weirdly, so weirdly childish, so kooky. Just like, yeah, like, what? I, what? Saucy Jack. Saucy Jackie. I thought it was called that literally because, you know, when you see the pictures, which maybe, maybe you'll provide on Instagram. I don't know. Uh, oh, the totally second letter. On Instagram. It's, it's literally. The letter's like messy. Yeah. It looks like somebody smeared ketchup all over it. Yeah. Like, that would make so much more sense for it to be called the Saucy Jack letter because it literally looks like nope. someone was eating French fries and just like got the fry sauce all over the page. But no, no, it's this Saucy is Jack this is Saucy inside. Jack because he literally calls himself Saucy Jackie. <laughs> okay, <laughs> way to go, Jack. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, I'm a reporter and I'm pretending to write like a five year old psychopath, oh. right? Like a delusional <laughs> psychopath. Yeah. I don't know. Pretending to be delusional is hard. Like, if you're actually delusional, it's just like, mm, it just comes out there. I guess. I guess maybe that's the problem. (laughs) 
So anyway, the thing about these two letters, same handwriting and tone, both mm-hmm. sent to the same news agency, pretty certainly written by the same person. Okay. They were both published for the public in hopes that someone would recognize the handwriting. So in the Venn diagram of these letters, what's different? Oh, they were just both published so that people would have more writing example to look at. Okay. And pretty close to then, not Mm -hmm. immediately, but like within a few years of this happening, people ultimately found that it was that both of these letters were just written by a journalist in attempt to further capitalize on the sensationalism of these murders. What a bastard. Right? And it works. I mean, literally, yeah, this is works. the reason that we call him Jack the Ripper. This is the reason we call the murder of Catherine and Elizabeth the double event. You know, like, it, it worked. It sensationalized it. And to be perfectly honest, I think Jack the Ripper kind of rolls off the tongue better than Leather Apron. That's true. Jack the Ripper is I a pretty I think Jack good... the Ripper literally made it That's more... That's a pretty solid moniker. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. If yeah. I mean, with... it is one of the most famous like serial killers. Hmm? Like like Jason, just like it fits. Jason Voorhees? Yes. Ah, okay. <laughs> Which makes sense, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, that's really the reason that we're talking about these two letters, is mm-hmm. because even though they were very definitely hoax letters, they influenced our modern perception of this case. Um, this is something you may not have like kind of readily available but as statistically like it doesn't seem very likely like how 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 many serial killers have actually self-identified through you know coming out to the media that seems like something you hear about a lot as far as again coming back to like shows like criminal minds and things like that procedural dramas where you know uh, amazing dramatic things happen uh, you, you hear a lot about serial killers coming out to the police, but realistically, how much is that? Or I'm sorry, coming out to the media, but realistically, how much has that ever really happened? So it's it's kind of complicated because it's the serial killers that get the most hype that become known. Right. So any serial killer that's doing a good job of being sneaky about shit and doesn't get investigated by the police is a serial killer that we will never know about. There seems to be this correlation, or I guess social, to me, maybe I'm wrong, but there seems to be this social kind of myth or, or, or assumption that to an extent they are in it for the hype and they do want that notoriety. Some and that, that, are. That, that trope of the serial killer wanting to be known, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be acknowledged for his deeds, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so some serial killers do get off, you know, reading about themselves in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And off the top of my head, BTK is an, is is the prime example okay. of this. Absolute shitbag. We'll probably cover him someday. But he wrote to the police. And that's literally how he got caught. Oh, lovely. So does yeah. own poison. And he named himself. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That's, so he, that's a trope that comes up in... in Criminal Minds is like, they can't name themselves. Don't give them the power of deciding who they are. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I ridiculous. mean, it's not exactly a common thing. But yeah, yeah. no, he, he sent in, he sent a letter that, that was like, I think I will be known as Bind, Torture, Kill, or BTK. And that is why he is called BTK. He literally named himself. And he is such a fucking asshole. And I hate him because he's a 
cock, but I mean, deep breath, Alex. It's okay. BTK is no more. <laughs> Hot take. Really, you know, really controversial stance here. I think serial killers are bad people. <laughs> Way to take the yeah. moral high road, Alex. Good job. But yeah, no. So he named himself. And also, uh, you know, going back to the people like to pretend to be the bad guy, somebody once wrote in pretending to be him, and he got so mad that he wrote in and was like, that wasn't me. (laughs) Oh, his poor ego. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, BTK, perfect example. Mm -hmm. So, we talked about hoax letters. Mm -hmm. The third letter seems a bit more real okay this letter is known as the from hell (gasps) letter yeah everybody knows from hell and it is because of this letter right you mean from hell as in the movie with anthony hopkins and johnny depp and it is the reason that that movie was called from hell yep yep so this letter was sent to george lusk who -hmm. was the leader of the whitechapel vigilance committee okay which so is the, like that weird vigilance committee that we talked about. And that makes more sense, sending sending a spooky, you know, taunting letter to the police or the vigilance committee than some fucking newspaper. You know? Yeah. I mean, who knows? I don't, I'm not the mind of a attention-seeking serial killer, but it makes sense to send a taunting letter to the people you're taunting not to the people who are writing about you. For sure. Uh, This letter was received on October 16th. The handwriting and tone completely different from those previous two letters. Well, and just the spelling in it, too. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just... Oh, my God, the the spelling is all over the fucking place. The judgmental side of me, but it's just, like, it has more of that creepy tone of, like, wait, maybe this was written by somebody who's off their rocker. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, this is a... It's kind of complex because a little bit of it seems a little bit like um, like they were trying to sound like they couldn't spell. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're disguising who they were by looking unintelligent. Yeah. Which is also a thing that BTK did. Oh, weird. Yeah. He, he tried to throw off the police by, by giving them misleading hints, by giving them red herrings. And it worked. But like... When he when he writes knife, yeah, he he spells it K N I F. Yeah, so he misses the E or kidney. But the hard part of the word knife is the K. Oh right. So it might have been that he was faking being unintelligent, or it might have been that he was uneducated enough to know right knife has a has a K in it, but forget that it has an E. This is it's like hard weird, to say. That's really like hard to thing. know. You know. Yeah. On top of, you know, the fact that this was clearly written by a different person than the previous two. That, obvious. So with this note, there was, a like, with the letter came a box. And inside the box was a kidney. And this kidney was taken to the London hospital where it was confirmed that it was, in fact, human. Okay. And it had been preserved in some kind of alcohol. Gross. And if you recall, Kate 
had her uterus taken mm-hmm. and her kidney. I recall. Gross. So. But wait, wait. So this says, Mr. Lusk sore. Are you going to read it? Not sore. Well, sh- should I? Yeah. I mean, you read the rest of them. Okay. <clears throat> From hell. Mr. Lusk. Sore. I sent you half the kidney I took from one woman and preserved it. He's writing is so it does not flow. I send you half the kidney I took from one woman and preserved it for you. T'other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out. If you only wait a while longer. (laughs) Signed. Catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. So she only had one kidney missing, right? Yeah. Oh, half the kidney. I'm sorry. Half the kidney. Half the kidney. I was thinking he sent one kidney and there was another kidney left. And I was like, wait, he only took one. How does that work? But no, half no, the kidney. No, no. He, he sent half the kidney. I think that it was confirmed which side the kidney was. That kidney algebra adds up. <laughs> um, And the doctor who confirmed had a letter written to him later that we're not including because it wasn't particularly big to the story. But it does kind of, it kind of adds to what may have been behind this letter yeah okay so two possibilities one this letter was actually written by a killer this was written by jack the ripper the man who stole kate edo's kidney yeah another possibility is that it could have been another hoax but this time from somebody like a med student right maybe somebody somebody who would have access to a human kidney from the london hospital Maybe not somebody who's trying to act directly to boost interest in the news story, but somebody who's trying to just fuck around and get it. Yeah, one of the people that's just trying to be, you know, yeah, just trying to fuck with the story in order to become a part of it. Yeah. And that, like, both of those, you know, would explain why the doctor who confirmed the kidney was human received a letter himself. Right. That makes sense. You know. So, so those are the three, like, important letters. There's hundreds. There's so many fucking letters in this case. Mm-hmm. We are not going into all of them. Not. Those are three letters that we are covering. Hard no. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, the first two obvious hoaxes, definitely written by a journalist in order to hype up the case. And they did. The final letter could have been real. Maybe. Mayhaps. Could have been. <laughs> I mean, at this point, does it really matter though? Like, what? I guess yeah, we don't know I guess who Jack what, the Ripper is. So, yeah, what does it really? What meaningful nuance does it really add to the story, whether or not those letters are real? Right. I mean, the thing is, like, I, I think that this has been who Jack the Ripper is has been studied so much that I think that. <laughs> It's been too watered down to actually figure out who it is at this point. Well, it just seems like even at the very start of it, it was so instantly muddled by media influence and by mythos at the time and and so Mm -hmm. obscured by so... And more importantly, I think, way more importantly, um, how obscured the case itself was by social values. You know, like ultimately if a... I feel like it would be like now if a murder were to take place where a killer was specifically targeting, you know, people at the detention center on the, on the border, you know, it's, it's like, how could we expect 
the especially media attention if that if you mm-hmm. know if we were to look at newspaper reports from that 20 years from now would it really be accurate probably not you know mm-hmm. like we're just sort of going based on <laughs> if it wasn't important then how are we going to have an accurate picture of it now yeah what was i gonna say i don't know we should probably talk about mary jane kelly huh yeah we should probably get back to murder we talked about we talked about the letters very important very not important etc <laughs> mm-hmm. so and this is the final canonical jack the ripper victim and this is the most intense one okay and i really really debated how much detail i should go into with this because like you do because <sighs> you don't want to sensationalize someone's brutal death yes yep. yes i don't want to i don't want to hide from the facts because a lot of times that influences the intensity of the case, the the intensity of the experience of the victim, as well as the reason that we look back at the case the way we do. Okay. But I don't want to add more than I need to because I don't want to... I, I don't want to be entertaining people with the suffering of others. Right. No gore porn. Yeah. You know, I do all of the research that I can. I figure out everything that I can. And then I decide what is appropriate to report back to our listeners well i think it's important too to note that uh, i think you can push the envelope a little more when it comes to details if you're providing context right uh Mm -hmm. gore with context can be important because it can tell you you know it can indicate severity it can indicate intensity it can indicate so many things but without the necessary context then it can just seem yeah uh, you know shocking for the value of shocking and i know we've talked about this before uh, how would the therapist at my work bring up that the centers in your brain that get stimulated when you're aroused sexually versus when mm-hmm. you're, you know, uh, hearing about you know, terrible murders. Same or, thing. Yeah. Same thing. And so mm-hmm. it's important to acknowledge that, like, we're sort of hardwired for this really intense interest yeah. in those sorts of There's things. There's probably a dopamine connection there. Yeah. Which, again, makes sense. Maybe out of self-preservation or, or whatever. Like, I don't know enough to, to really uh, uh, make a guess, but... Just sort of acknowledging that on a base level, we can be excited in a way that's really not intellectual by this stuff. Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't know that it's not intellectual. It's just not necessary. Yeah. Because we're a curious creature, you know? Humans are curious, and that's a huge part of how far we've advanced with, you know, science and knowledge. Yeah. It's a huge boon. It's a bu- It's a boon, absolutely. It's a boon and a boondoggle. <laughs> Yeah. So mostly mostly it's just that I want to be ethical with the way that I report on other people's suffering. Yeah. But I, I also don't think that we should completely hide what people went through because that's inauthentic to the story as well. Well, and it's, it's puritanical as well. It's complicated. Yeah. I think about it a lot. <laughs> it's something that I am trying to... My best at, and I will not always succeed because it is hard. Well, and it's, it's hard and it's it's an ever-changing, you know, it's it's a moving finish line. So it's really hard yeah. to, or, you know, the, the parameters are ever-fluctuating. Yeah, I think everything is a case-by-case basis. Yeah. But, but yeah, so, so Mary Kelly's murder is the most intense of the canonical Jack the Ripper victims. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time debating how much I should go into detail because it is really brutal. Okay. So 
the month of October remained tense, but quiet. Nothing really happened, but everybody was kind of talking. Okay. And this quiet was interrupted on November 9th in the single room of Mary Jane Kelly. She wasn't discovered until nearly 11 a.m., and likely the privacy of her room gave her murderer as much time as he needed to commit her mutilations. That's lovely. So he had hours to mutilate her body. Ugh. So again, her throat had been cut, but this time not only was her face and abdomen severely mutilated, but her breasts had been cut off, which mm. you talked about being yeah. probably metaphorically important. Mm -hmm. uh, she had been disemboweled, as per usual. Her viscera was spread all around the room, and her leg had been cut all the way down to the bone. Wow. Now, there is some debate about whether or not this was an actual Ripper victim because of how intense this mutilation was, as well as because she was the only canonical victim who was young. Okay. The rest of these women were, like, middle-aged women. They were, like, in their 40s. And the, the murder of Mary Jane Kelly is kind of weird because she was, like, 25 and beautiful and actually was one of the only women who was actually a sex worker. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it seemed as if she came from a life of being one of those proper brothel sex workers. Okay. So she was like a proper sex worker. She wasn't a survival sex right, worker. Right, not the kind where somebody's like, oh, I'm living with this man because it works for me. And no, like. She was, she was just actually a sex worker. Right. You know? That was actually her daily grind. Haha, <laughs> grind. Yeah. And, like, you know, it's complicated when you're looking at, like, the societies of Victorian England and, like, whether or not you are coerced into sex work because that was the only thing you could make any money with. But you also have to look into, you know, the fact that sex work was literally vilified the... Second it became a thing. The, 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 the reign before. <laughs> yeah. It's complicated. It's complicated. Drink. Drink. So yeah, there's some disagreements on whether or not this was an actual Jack the Ripper victim, or it totally could have been, but, you know, for the first time, Jack the Ripper had the privacy and time to do as much mutilation as his heart desired. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to her, because there are some other... There are some other possibilities of who her murderers were. Okay, some extenuating circumstances that muddy the waters. Yeah, yeah, the, that we'll get into that makes her her life story just wild. Just wild, all right. Just a lot. And then the ripping stopped. Why? So maybe he died or was caught for a completely different crime and uh, imprisoned. Maybe he moved, you know, maybe immigrated to another place, but the ripping stopped. So interesting. Yeah. With Jack the Ripper, you expect the conclusion to be so much more grandiose. Like, oh, if he if he left, then that had to mean that he was an upper arist aristocrat who maybe there'd be a record of him leaving or, you know, just something. Like, you expect there to be something. Well, I mean, his final murder victim was pretty grandiose. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, no, exactly what he was or whatever. Who knows? 
Mm-hmm. That said, there are still four more unsolved murders in the Whitechapel murders oh, that really? we are going to go into. Okay. Because we are still telling the Whitechapel murders story. Because the broader story is really interesting. And also, some people debate about whether or not all the Whitechapel murders were Jack the Ripper. Okay, interesting. I disagree. I actually think that the five, maybe four, were the Jack the Ripper murders. But I still think that we should tell all of them. Okay. So, there is a month and a half Mm -hmm. between this murder and the next murder. Okay. But... There is a good reason that there is belief that she was not a canonical victim. Who, uh, Mary Jane Kelly or the... No. Okay. So Rose Milette okay. died on December 20th, 1888. Medical examiners at the time disagreed on her cause of death. Okay. Four doctors believed that she would that she had been strangled. Two doctors believed that she had accidentally hanged herself on the collar of her dress in a drunken stupor. Oh, my God. Which makes things complicated. You don't accidentally hang yourself. Yeah. I I think what it was is that they thought that she was so pass out drunk that she somehow managed to asphyxiate herself. Okay. Okay. Or she might have been strangled. Who knows? The, The police commissioner also believed that her death was either an accident or a suicide. But the jury, you know, for the, for her coroner's inquest, actually ultimately returned a verdict of willful murder, mm. and her death was added to the Whitechapel files. Okay, okay. So, so that is why she is on here. Who fucking knows? Again, this is old information with bad resources. Right. Six months passed before Alex McKenzie became the next Whitechapel murder. On July 17th, 1889, Alice was 40 and regularly lived in the lodging houses in Whitechapel, which made her like the other Ripper victims. And her throat had been cut before she received a long and jagged cut to her abdomen. But the cut was superficial. It didn't make it into her guts. Oh, okay. Gross. The blade that, that was used here was shorter than the than the blade that was used for the other canonical victims. Okay. So speculation on whether or not this is a Jack the Ripper victim is is still pretty high. rife and was rife at the time. I, I think, and a lot of people think, that this was essentially an imitation murder. Okay. Like, that's why they didn't go all the way? I, I mean, I think that this was somebody murdering a woman, trying to make it look like... It was a Jack the Ripper okay, victim, okay. either so, to throw the police off of his scent or to be a copycat killer. Okay. Okay. That makes you know? sense. Yeah. Because the MO almost looked imitative. Right. Really super close MO, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, same kind of woman, a a, a 40-year-old tramp who lived in the lodging houses. Yeah. And her throat had been cut. But different blade, very different blade, and was not, like, actually disemboweled, just attempted disemboweled. Right, which is way different. You know? It just, it feels very imitative. Right. Then, at 5.30 a.m. on September 10th, this one is insane. Okay. And I don't know if we'll ever, I don't know, I don't know. You can, We'll talk about this. Okay, 5.30 a.m. on September 10th, 1889. A constable on a half-hour beat 
found the headless, legless torso of a woman under a railway arch in Pynchon Street. We've talked about this. Particularly close to where Elizabeth Stride was found. Okay. The body had to have been dumped there between 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. because the body wasn't there when he was on his beat at 5 a.m. It was a 30-minute beat. Okay, so there's no way it could have been anywhere outside of that time frame. Yep. It had to have been dumped there within that 30-minute. Her body has never been identified. So, sadly, to this day, she is still only known as the Pynchon Street Torso. What about And an an examination of the body indicated that she had been severely beaten before her death and that her death occurred about 36 hours prior to the discovery of her torso, making her time of death actually September 8th. Okay. Which was the same day that Annie Chapman was killed a year prior. Oh, that seems important. So because of the location and date, the police had to consider this case as a possible Jack the Ripper killing. But ultimately, her death was connected to the Thames Torso murders. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Which was another series of unsolved murders with unfortunate closeness in date and proximity to the Whitechapel murders, but a huge MO difference in the handling of the victims' right. bodies. Instead of being like gutted and left, they were made into just torsos and dumped. And I think only one of those women was ultimately identified. Which sucks. And then a whole year and a half passed before the final Whitechapel murder victim. Which was? This was the murder of Francis Coles on February 13th, 1891. Okay. A constable discovered her at 2.15 a.m., still alive after receiving two deep cuts to her throat. But she didn't survive long enough for medical help to arrive. And, of course, because the cuts were to her throat, she wasn't able to articulate anything that had happened to her yeah in fact i think that she wasn't awake she was just alive still right her heart was beating and she was breathing but like Mm -hmm. wounds on on the back of her head indicated that she had been thrown to the ground but she had no further mutilations possibly because the constable interrupted her attacker right and in this case actually somebody was arrested and charged with her murder but released for lack of evidence Mm. And, uh, you know, again, almost certainly not a uh, Ripper victim, even if it was interrupted, because as we talked about in the first episode, most likely Jack the Ripper was not actually, you know, finding sex workers and luring them away and killing them so quickly that they couldn't scream. He was probably finding sleeping women and killing them where they slept because it was easy to kill a sleeping woman who was sleeping outside. Right. Go figure. (laughs) Yeah. Wild. Absolutely wild. So, yeah, the fact that she was, like, clearly alive and had been in some kind of altercation. Makes it less likely that she was a Ripper victim. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. That is, uh, that is the Whitechapel murders, and that is why I think the canonical five are the canonical five, and why I think the other Whitechapel murders- stick with the five, okay. Yeah, are probably not actually victims of Jack the Ripper. Fair enough. In fact, it is entirely possible that all of them were completely different murderers. And, uh, yeah, that's the- 
that's the story. Ta-da! And 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 that's as much as we'll we'll go into on Jack the Ripper. If people fucking beg, I might do an episode on suspects, but I don't think people are gonna beg. But you better beg. No, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> please don't. I don't wanna. I don't wanna. I don't want it. It's so much. It's so stupid. It's so. We don't know. We don't fucking know. Everybody says they know. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They can't know. I don't want to do that research. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, that's it. Next time we come back, we'll uh, talk about Polly. Yay! And and her pretty unfortunate story. I think Polly is a really fantastic example of a regular woman who became a homeless woman in Whitechapel through a series, a series of life misfortunes. Perfect. That sounds you know lovely and depressing. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I mean, each of these women have a very unique and interesting story, and I'm really excited to tell you all. Yay! Me too. So... To learn with (laughs) y'all. To learn with y'all in our pseudo-intellectual way. (laughs) I don't want to give power to the haters, but it's so funny. Sometimes it's hard to not keep, like, coming back around to that. It's just like... I love it. I love it. Apparently people (laughs) just, like, you know, I feel like we don't have a big... I feel like we check our own egos pretty well. We're like, oh, that was fucking stupid. Or, like, I don't know, but this is what I think. Oh, I make fun of myself all the time. And I think, it's and then just you hard. make fun of me, and then I make fun of you, right. and it's perfect. And I think, yeah, so I think it can just be hard to get away from a critique such as that when uh... you know I'm still fucking absolutely losing my shit over the fact that I said um, Matthew McConaughey wasn't a real person, <laughs> right? It's like we know, we know we fuck up. Thank you. Like we got yeah. that well in hand. I'm fully aware that I am a flawed human being. I hope our like, listeners don't suffer under the delusion that we suffer under the delusion of perfection because that is not true at all. No, <laughs> I think I'm, that's I'm striving for perfection. I'm striving the, for, the, but I know I'm not going to get there. Well, and I think that's kind of like the je ne sais quoi of our show is that I feel like we go out of our way to admit that, like, you know, we respect our own intelligence, but also. Uh, you know, we recognize the lens with which we're, we're doing everything, too. Yeah, but, like, <sighs> ultimately, this is a amateur podcast. Yeah, it is what it is. Like, I don't have a, I don't have a grant from some organization <laughs> right? to do this podcast. It's your problem if you're coming to us for the most highbrow possible uh, podcasting. Yeah, like, I think it would be really cool if, like, our podcast could be used as a jumping off point for research if somebody wanted to do that. I, I do that all the time. If I'm researching a subject, I'll listen to a podcast on it mm-hmm. before I start actually diving into that research. I think that would be great if we were that kind of podcast. I feel like we're at least a high tier enough podcast to be that. To inspire people, yeah. To inspire the professionals. But like, but like don't cite us in your fucking thesis. Yeah, if you do, that's on you. Like, what the fuck? What are you doing? <laughs> Listening to podcasts doing? and expecting, like, what? No. I mean, fuck, check out the sources that we linked. (laughs) It's kind of like, treat us like you would Wikipedia. Like, sure. Don't even treat us like Wikipedia. Wikipedia is checked by thousands of people. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Cite our sources, don't cite us. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, we should wrap Uh, it up then. Yeah. All right. This has been really fun. I'm so glad we're back on the podcast horse. Me too. Thank you for everybody who's been listening to us again. Thank you for everybody who's been giving us feedback and support. And we love you. And you know what? Honestly, thank you to everybody who's just giving us feedback, whether or not it's good. Like, 
you know? Yeah. Whatever. Thank you, dear listener who thinks that we're pseudo-intellectuals. You were exactly the kind of one star I was hoping for. Yeah, I mean, really. Like... Who's offended for us calling out racism. Cool. Like, Fuck get yeah. it. Uh. <laughs> that's, that's exactly who I wanted to offend. Let us know how else we offended you, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for listening to us. If you would like to give us feedback... We are at all of the things on Palm Pitch Pod. We're at Palm Pitch Pod on all of the things? That one. <laughs> you got it. I'm very smart. <laughs> you know, Instagram, Twitter. Facebooks. Gmail. Whatever. Hit us up. Patreon and coffee if you want to support us financially. If you want to help us buy our beers. Yeah. Be so cool. that we can become not an amateur podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, me too. All right. Uh I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, yep. that's it. All right. Okay. Love you. Love bye. You, bye. bye.